But go to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, please, this morning. The absolute sovereignty of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And let's just read from verse 4, just for time's sake. Paul is speaking here about concerning meats and so forth. Uh, That's to do with another study at another time. But we want to look at the sovereignty of God here. Verse 4. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be many, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, by whom are all things. And we by him. Notice there's one God. There's our Father. And in our Lord Jesus Christ, we are one with him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the security of the believer. We thank you that your son has paid our debt in its fullness. And so this morning, Lord, we thank you for the blood of the Lamb your darling son. Father, we ask you now that you would settle us in our hearts and our minds that any opposing, distracting spirit in the meeting may be cast out in Jesus' name from the midst of us in our meeting and that he alone would be seen and glorified, that we would come around to understand again anew afresh the sovereignty of God, that you in your absoluteness You are in control of all things in our lives and everything we might face. So take this word, I ask you, and bless it to our hearts and glorify your name for Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen. This is part five, and as I said at the start of this series, we could go on forever on the absolute sovereignty of God. How long are we going on for? I have no idea. Last week was pretty heavy. Um, with the, the Bible prophecy and quite long and I do appreciate your attention at that time and uh, being patient with me. Paul writes here in verse 8 of our reading, but unto us, that's you and I, but unto us there is but one God. Now the first two gods or three gods or many gods, then somebody isn't God. There's one God. And he's our father. He sends his son, the Lord Jesus, and we have his spirit in our hearts. But there is but one God, the father of whom, notice, of whom are all things and we in him. And one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things and we by him. Here's what I have written and I want you to take note this morning. Christian, listen to this. Unless we have a proper regard to God's high sovereignty. He will never be honored in our thoughts of him. 
nor will he have his proper place in our hearts or in our lives. I want to say it again. Unless we have a proper regard to God's high sovereignty, he will never be honored in our thoughts of him, nor will he have proper place in our hearts and our lives. When we realize the absolute sovereignty of God, it does wonders for the soul. When I think of the absolute sovereignty of God and things are going wrong, I can rest my head, as Spurgeon said, and I think it was part one I mentioned it, on that pillow. Well, God knows. God is sovereign. But the difficult part is me, you and I, yielding our will to be swallowed up by his will. Us yielding our spirit to his Holy Spirit. Us becoming less, decreasing, and Christ increasing. Now there, as it were, is the secret of a man and a woman going on with God to understand that he is the Almighty and you and I are not. In Exodus 3, you don't need to turn to it, but you can write it down. We haven't time to go to all these scriptures. Exodus 3, we have Moses at the backside of the desert. I touched on it. I want to touch on it again this morning. And there he sees the burning bush. Some people think the burning bush would have been about the height of these flowers here, this arrangement in front of us, something small like that. These burning bushes were sometimes 15 foot plus. So he could see it from a distance. It caught his eye. It was burning, yet it wasn't consumed. And he goes to, to the burning bush. I think we know the story. And of course, he's told Moses, take thy shoes from off thy feet for the place where on thou standest is holy ground. It was sand. It was sand, brothers and sisters. It was maybe pebbles and bits of stone. That's all it was. It was desert. It was part of a wilderness. So how was it holy? The presence of God made it holy. It's where his presence is, is holy. So the tabernacle later in the wilderness, it became holy in the whole of the earth. The only place in the whole of the earth that was holy was where God would meet Moses at the Ark of the Covenant in the holy place in the tabernacle. Then it moved to the temple in Jerusalem. And then, of course, the second temple. And then, of course, Jesus coming there when Herod, uh, we hear he had built this temple and he had died and, and the Lord Jesus was there at the temple. And the, the disciple says, Behold, look at all the great stones in the work of this temple. Forty and six years it took. Jesus says that the temple would be finished and the new temple would be built. What is that temple? Is it a temple in Jerusalem to come? No, it's not. I'm looking at it this morning. You and me, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us that. Know ye not that ye are the temple of the Holy Spirit is in you. The naos, the place where God would meet. So in me, in you all this morning, is the Holy Spirit. We are the temple and fitly framed together. So the Sovereign God has not only saved us, he knew us, elect us, he chose us, he saved us through his son. 
His Son shed His blood, and you and I are now saved, and He's placed His Spirit in us. All through His sovereignty. We've looked at it, Ephesians chapter 1, Revelation chapter 5. We've looked at it through these, these weeks. And so because of that now, what makes you holy when you fail? What makes you and I holy when we let the Lord down? When we sin, what makes you and I holy? The presence of God in us, the Spirit of God in us. You and I are holy. These hands, your hands are flesh. But because he's in you, you're holy. We find here that if we were to look at Moses and he says, take thy shoes from off thy feet for the place where thou standest is holy ground. Brothers and sisters, we see the Lord saying to Moses his name, the august title of I am. What does he mean? It means it gives the idea of the self-existing, eternally living one. There's only one, one God. Self-existing, eternally living the Almighty from whom all things come. So everything we have and are comes from Him. Will you turn with me, please, to 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. I want to look at His character just for a few moments. And I know these have been like studies, but I think it's important that a lot of the church don't know the Word anymore. Don't study 1 Timothy chapter 1, please, and verse 7. Pardon me, 17, pardon me. Paul writes, Now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The great I am is the same whom Paul is talking about. For example, he's eternal. This king rules from glory over all the universe in the he- from the heavens right to earth. He's eternal. He is immortal. Underline these words. He is invisible. He is the only wise God. Capital G, Theos, where we get theology from. Theos. So to him and him alone be glory, honor and glory forever and ever. If you remember our first couple of weeks, we started off with Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. And it says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. So the one who is worshipped in glory is the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who's receiving the glory is the Lord Jesus Christ. John tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the same as in the beginning with God. Who is the Word? The Lord Jesus Christ. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, John says in verse 3, 
My memory serves me right. I think it's verse 3. It says, For by him, the word, were all things made that were made. Without him was not anything made that was made. And so we see when it comes here that in glory they're saying, Thou hast created. For thy pleasure, remember his pleasure, not yours or mine, for his pleasure they are and they were created. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6 now in verse 16, please. Now let's read verse 15. Notice this. In fact, let's go to 14. It'll give us a better run through. That thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, until the appearing. There's a whole doctrine in that in itself between a, what people call a rapture and an appearing. But these Christians are looking for an appearing, not a rapture. Which in his times... He shall show who is the blessed. He will show you and he will show me. How will he show who is the blessed and only potentate? Notice there's no double potentates here. And only potentate, the king of kings and lord of lords. Who is the only potentate? He's going to show us. How will he show us since he is God who is immortal, invisible? How does he show us? He shows us through the person of his son. He shows us in the Lord Jesus Christ. He shows us when Christ appears again in glory. Then we will see that he is indeed king of kings and lord of lords. And of course in Revelation 19 we know that is written on him and is coming again. John says and sees. And tells us, verse 16, who only hath immortality. This tells me that the gift of eternal life is a gift. Who only hath immortality. Notice, dwelling in light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. What is happening here? What is God's word telling us? What are we seeing in this? That the absolute sovereignty of God is that you and I can never see him nor come to know him unless in his divine love, in absolute election, he shows us by grace through the person of his son. And at the coming of Christ, you want to see glory? The heavens will roll back like a scroll and we will know the glory of God in the person of Christ. We will be changed in the moment. Our bodies will be fashioned to be like unto his own glorious body. And you and I will see Christ face to face. Faith will give way to sight. Paul's telling us here, notice, first of all, in 1 Timothy 1 and 17, he's the only wise God. Then in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 16, he is the only Pardon me, verse 15, he's the only potentate. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 
6 and verses 15 and 16, it says of him, who only hath immortality. Notice, he alone, dwelling in light which no man can see, and it's to him, to Christ, to the Lord Jesus. Is everybody with me this morning? We got the heating fixed. Do you see that? Maybe we need to turn it down. You're all sleeping, putting you to sleep. You see, Christ is the center of glory. I love the song when it says, "That man of Calvary has won my heart for me, and died to set me free." Blessed man of Calvary. But I love it when it says, "Center of glory, the I see, wonderful man of Calvary." So here's what I want to put out for those maybe watching, maybe here, and you're not saved. How does one expect, I mean a man or a woman, how does one expect to be saved, to be in the glory of Christ? How does one expect to be in heaven and when heaven comes to earth in the kingdom? How does one expect to be ruling and reigning with Christ as the word tells us? How does one expect not to be in a lake of fire? by their own works, if they come with their own deeds. When you see the scriptures plainly tell us that God in his absolute sovereignty has one way of salvation for us. In his absolute sovereignty, he calls the man and woman. And and maybe sometimes you've been in a meeting and God has been calling you and you don't even realize it nor know it nor accept it. How do I know the tug in the heart? quickening of the life, the spirit. Because Christ is everything. The Lord Jesus is central to heaven. He's everything to his father. I mean everything. And everything is based in him and on him. Every single thing to do with redemption and salvation. He is the coming king. And I wonder... Maybe some of us have wondered, how would I get to heaven without Jesus? What would God expect of me? And what would God accept of me to allow me in? And the, the answer to it all is nothing. It must be through the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Reject him, and we reject eternity in God's presence. When we reject Christ, we reject salvation and forgiveness of sin. When we reject Christ, we reject redemption through his blood. Because the Father loved you. Christian, you should be rejoicing this morning that your Father in heaven knew you, loved you, knew me and my sin and you and yours when you were dead in your trespasses and in your sins and you had no hope of, of saving yourself. Yet the Father loved you, gave his son for you, who died for you, shed his blood for you, went to the grave, was raised again on the third day, ascended into heaven. He's glorified and is at the right hand of power. And he's coming again. We should be rejoicing. At this great salvation. 
You know, some might say, well, you're preaching like it's a gospel message. It is. It absolutely is. Because it's all about the gospel. The good news that Jesus loved us, died for us, and has saved us. Are you glad you're saved this morning? We need to shout it out, amen. Amen. We're glad that we're Christ's. In a world of darkness and doom and gloom everywhere we go, the only place I can rest my head is on the absolute sovereignty of God. If I live, I'm Christ's. And if I die, I'm Christ's. So whether we live or whether we die, we are Christ's. Arthur W. Pink, I jotted something down that I had read from one of his books on the sovereignty of God. Does a great work on it. Arthur W. or Walkington, that's his middle name, so everybody just calls him W. Walkington Pink. Listen to this. The doctrine of the absolute sovereignty of God is a great battering ram against human pride. Took me a while to read that over a few times. I got that into my heart. The doctrine of the absolute sovereignty of God is a great battering ram against human pride. And in this, it is in sharp contrast to the doctrines of men. You know, you can go to places and you'll hear the doctrines of men all day. Just what men like and what men think and what... Men believe, not what the Word says. He goes on, the spirit of our age is essentially that of boasting and glorying in the flesh. The achievements of man, his development and progress, his greatness and self-sufficiency are the shrine at which the world worships today. You think Arthur Pink was alive and seeing what's going on this morning, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you think he was in the world today? you think he was walking around the streets of Belfast? Let me read that last bit again. The spirit of our age is essential, essentially that of boasting and glorifying in the flesh. The achievements of man, his development and progress, his greatness, his self-sufficiency, are the shrine at which the world worships today. It's about all of man's prowess, all of man's ability, all of man's academia. It's all about man's schooling, who has the longest list of letters behind their name. It's all about these things instead of realizing that you and I and they are all under the eye of an absolute sovereign God. The creator and the maker of all things, who in the person of his son is coming again, and that is appearing. At his appearing, those not in Christ will be lost. I finish with this, what he says here. 
I mean, I finished what he said, not what I'm saying. (laughs) But the truth of God's sovereignty, with all its corollaries, who knows what that big word means? It means that which follows after. I looked up an example of it just about early this morning. I wonder what I would give for an example, but (laughs) there was something I didn't want to say. Well, let me put it like this. If I keep eating the way I keep eating, I'm starting not to fit into my suit trousers because what I've been eating is now following on. (laughs) That's a corollary. In other words, all of that which is evidenced here, what, what has happened will catch up with you and expresses what you've been eating. Merriam-Webster's dictionary put it a little bit different, but I'll not go, I didn't jot it down. I wanted to get out in one piece. But the truth of God's sovereignty with all its corollaries, in other words, all that we have been talking about, and it follows, it expresses, and it comes to a head, as it were. It's like the waistband of my trousers that stretches out and shows more. And removes every ground of human boasting and instills the spear of humility instead. Brothers and sisters, God is sovereign. He is subject to none. He's subject to none of us. God doesn't have to ask me when he's going to do something. He doesn't have to come and deal with me and say, this is what I'm going to do. Are you okay with that, Ken? Sovereign. He is subject to none. He is influenced by none. And he is absolutely independent of all others. God does as he pleases, always as he pleases, and none can thwart him, and none can hinder him. Listen, that last, glad Wendy picked that song, uh, that hymn around the, the Lord's table. Because I'm glad God's like this, that he won't change just because I don't like something, just because I think better, because there's a lot of times my thinking is stinking. I'm glad of that verse. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. And why am I glad that we sang that this morning? Because right in this, because my salvation, my eternal welfare, my eternal destiny, my forgiveness and my keeping the preservation of the Spirit in me to persevere. It's all of Him. It's all of Him. I remember one time, we used to do an awful lot of nursing homes where we would have went around and brought a wee word and we sang a couple of courses and hymns for them. We used to do one every uh, Sunday afternoon in Donna Cloney when the home was open and other places and 
I remember one woman said to me one time, her father was a saved man, well-saved man. He was a, a godly man all his life, but yet he took a, a, a dementia. And for some reason, he started swearing. Never, she had never heard him swear in her life. And he was cursing and swearing, and then he, later he died. She came to me and says, oh, my daddy won't be saved because he was cursing and swearing. I said, well, well hold on, dear. Your daddy was a saved man, washed in the blood. It's not the cursing and swearing that's going to take him out of the, the Lord's hands. Your daddy's took an illness. Your daddy took an illness. And God has kept him even though he's went like that. Listen, any one of us could have something like that, not know our minds, and die with our minds not being, as it were, compass mentis, and maybe saying things that we shouldn't be saying. Does that mean we're lost? No, it doesn't mean we're lost because he keeps us. Your mind might have went. Your brain might have functioned differently. There's no power of hell or scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. And I'll tell you, I can't pluck myself out. Through the sovereignty of God, he knew me and from glory to glory, he has saved me. Oh, maybe you're, but you're unworthy. Oh, you're, you, you, you know fine rightly I am. And I know fine rightly I am. Brothers and sisters, will you let your turn over with me, please? Only Glenn read from this this morning around the table and I thought, he's going to steal my thunder here. But you didn't, Glenn. You're okay. You didn't. Romans chapter 8, please. Romans chapter 8. Verse 26, please. Likewise, the Spirit, capital S for the Holy Spirit, not our own Spirit. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Not powerful. So see, whenever you don't even know what to pray, See, whenever you've been ill, you haven't had the strength. See, when recently I was all I was lying going, oh, Lord, oh. Crying on the Lord. But it, was, no, it wasn't doing it because it was moaning. It was actually, Lord, help us. Spirit's moving in you. Groaning in you. Because your thoughts are not your carnal thoughts that we would have had in normal time. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, capital S, He's moving in you. He's groaning in you. And there you're, oh Lord, mm, eyes and thoughts and mind toward God. Do you know what this is? The absolute sovereignty of God in your life. The absoluteness of the Spirit. If it was down to you and I, you and I would be lying, probably whinging and gurning and moaning and groaning and crying about ourselves all the time and but it's like, Lord, help us. Who's, who's ever done that? Come on, be brave. Be brave. And some of you are breaking the commandments. You're lying. 
You're lying if you didn't. The Spirit's in you, brother, sister. And when you're moaning and groaning, I don't mean about, oh, look at the steel of me. Here, love, would you bring us up something? That's me sometimes. Come on, brother, you're doing the same as well. It's when it's God word. Oh, Lord. It's a mark of the Spirit of God in you. There's nothing in you or me that would ever have cried out to him. Nothing. But now the Spirit of God is in you in the absolute sovereign will of God you're calling out. The Spirit is working in you. You know, I've even thought of, I don't know many times I've prayed it in my life. And it says, oh Lord, help me to love you more. And you catch yourself on, what sort of a miserable creature are you, Ken? What sort of a miserable cretin are you, Ken? Child of God and all, you're saved by his grace and you're washed in his blood and you've got the indwelling of his spirit and his son has paid your debt. Help me to love you more. Help me to love you. There's nothing in this world should be in his place. He should have our heart. But again, that rottenness is there of the old man, isn't it? But his spirit, if it was Ken, I'd be walking away. If it was Ken, I'd be away out in the world somewhere. So would you. But it's his Holy Spirit in you that has you here this morning. It's his Holy Spirit in you that has you sitting in your seat this morning. Or if you're not saved, it's his Holy Spirit drawing you to quicken you in. And his spirit tells you this morning, yes, those hard times, mother, when you don't know what to do next, and father and brother and sister, his Holy Spirit has you groaning, travailing in you. Oh, God. Rest your head on that sovereignty when you're in that place, will you? Rest your blessed head when you're in that condition because when you're weak, he's always strong. And that is a pillow that you can rest your head upon as Charles Haddon Spurgeon has said, in his sovereign will. How do I know I'm yours? Because the Spirit is working in you and if you weren't his, the Spirit would not be there for you to work in you. Let me just read on here. I'm going to close in a minute. Verse 27 and he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what the mind of the Spirit is because he maketh intercession for the saints. Does the Spirit make an intercession for you? To the will of God. And we know that all things work together for the good. Who works it for the good? You? No. The absolute sovereignty of God there's many times people have said, how can God work good out of this? You know what? I don't know. Because I'm not God. But I know he does. I was on with Wayne and William when Jennifer passed away. And sometimes you're trying to, you're thinking of people's hurt. You're thinking of their, 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 their heart being in mourning. Trying to be careful and cautious and 
gentle. Sometimes the senders can inflame people. Christians, I mean. I sent it to them, and we know that all things work together for the good to them that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. I sent it after conversation. And do you know what? The two of them accepted it. William got saved. Tracy got saved. And as far as I can see, Wayne is drawing closer to the Lord from it. God can work whatever you're in, whatever you're going through, whatever your trials are. He will work all things out for the good. He's the sovereign, absolute sovereign Lord. And I don't know how he does it or what he will do, but God will do it. But you and I need to yield ourselves and let his will swallow up our will. And you and I need to prostrate, as it were, our spirits before him and worship and honor and glory and give it unto him. And you and I need to trust him and rest our head upon that sovereign pillow. Verse 29, for whom he did foreknow. For whom he did foreknow. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Notice here, God foreknew, Christ foreknew. Here he predestinated and he is making us to be conformed to the image of his son. So everything we go through, God's hand is not lifted off it and God has not lost control of it. Everything we go through, brother, everything we go through, sister, and even though it's hard, it's trying, and at times we want to throw our hands up or run away, everything we go through, God will use it for the good, but will conform you. He's fashioning you. He's making you. He's conforming you onto the image of his son, the perfect one, the spotless one, the holy one. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. There is your salvation from glory unto glory. Notice you were called. You were justified through the blood of Christ. And we're waiting to be glorified at the return of Christ. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Now, see the word if. You can put a wee bracket around it in your Bible and write since. S-I-N-C-E. And I'll tell you why. Because, you see, in our language, if was, well, if he is, is there a doubting there? What if he's not? That's where doubts can come into the Christian mind. But in the original text here, it doesn't say it like that. The if was for our English rendering, but the if is since. In other words, since he's 
called us and since he's predestinated us and since he's justified us and since he's going to glorify us, it goes, since God be for us, not if, maybe, if, maybe, if, maybe not, since God be for us, who then can be against us? I think I'll stop here this morning. And actually there's, I know we have the remembrance service next Sunday morning and I'll see how I get on. I, I, I might do a shorter version and finish off the sovereignty of God. I want you to see the coming, you to see the coming Christ and I want you to see the, the crown, the difference in these crowns, the, 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 the Stephanos to the, the, the diadem as we would call it, the, the reigning crown of Christ. He changes crowns. Let me read this, and that's me done this morning. R.C. Sproul said these words. The more we understand God's sovereignty, the more our prayers will be filled with thanksgiving. Have you took it in this morning, brothers and sisters, what we've been speaking on this morning? The more we understand God's sovereignty, the more our prayers will be filled with thanksgiving. Listen to him again. There is not a piece of cosmic dust that is outside of God's sovereign providence. Think about it. Not a piece of cosmic dust that is outside of God's providence, and yet you and I will worry and fret and fear, Lord, do you still love me? Lord, do you still want me? Lord, will you still use me? Lord, will you accept me? Oh, Lord, will you still forgive me? Oh, Lord, this and oh, Lord, that and oh, Lord, the other thing. And, and we're, 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 Lord, you know what I'm going through. Do you know what's happening in my life? Do you understand my children, my grandchildren, my parents or whatever it is? you understand what's going on in our society? And God tells us that he is sovereign, brothers and sisters, and there's not a piece of cosmic dust that is outside of God's sovereign providence. A piece of cosmic dust somewhere in the millions of years of light travel out there. A piece, a small minute piece of cosmic dust is not outside of God's sovereign providence. What does it say about you and I? He gave his son for you. He gave Jesus for you. His blood was shed for you. He came and died for you. Do you love me? What an insult we give him. Do you love me? I have loved thee with an everlasting love, he says. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. You ask me to love you. Is it sinking in? You're getting excited this morning, Pastor. I can't help it. I'm preaching myself happy. You know why? Because I've been rehearsing this over these weeks and reading about the absolute sovereignty of God. And I've been seeing from eternity a rotten, filthy, hell-deserving sinner before the eyes of God who wasn't even born yet. And he loved me and came and died for me. He shed his blood for me. Ah, 
Lord, do you even know me? Oh, he knows you. He still sent his son for you. Finish with this, John Calvin. This is what he said. It is the most blessed thing to be subject to the sovereignty of God. I don't get those who are believers who they say that they're these little gods on earth. I don't get it when they when they think that they can speak and create their own worlds. I've tried it. It doesn't work. If I could do it, you know what I would do? I would speak and create a different world than we're living in today. But guess what? You can't. Don't get it when Christians add that, well, I have done. I have been. People come and I have given. I choose Jesus. You did not indeed. That means you can unchoose him if you want. That means Christ could have died in vain. He came to die for his own. I'm one of them. He died for the many. You're one of them. If you're not saved this morning, I hope you see the importance of the centrality and the preeminence of Christ. The centrality and the preeminence of Christ in all things. Next week, maybe a week after, we'll see, God willing, we'll do the last piece. And the coming of the beautiful Son, the changing of his crowns. And I'll show you a little bit more, just a snapshot of how he fulfilled See those crowns, what are they? I'll tell you what I think next week. Or the week after, whenever we get doing it. The Lord bless us this morning. Tell me to come up.